Welcome to the Muckle Teal Football Show. The Washington football team takes care of the New York football giants in a good Thursday night game. Ugly, middling at times, but exciting. Very, very full of drama. Taylor Heineke, 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 Heineke. I'll take my pronunciation from the fans chanting his name. Washington football team and Taylor Heineke. He gets another piece into his, what was previously a one-hit wonder legacy. That hit being the 2020 wild card game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers last year. But there was really no talk of Heineke starting this year. They got Ryan Fitzpatrick in. They never really considered putting Taylor Heineke in. In fact, it was a question about whether they were going to bring in another backup, despite what he did in the wild card game. And Fitzpatrick gets hurt in week one. And here we are. Four days later, Taylor Heineke is winning a, an exciting week two Thursday night football. And it, it wasn't like he, he his numbers look good. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of Derek Carr on Monday night football. It was lackluster for the first, you know, 50 minutes of the game. Uh, uh, just like Carr relying on Waller and, and kind of keeping the points low. Same with Heineke. He was relying on Terry McLaurin. The points were low. It wasn't really, really pulling things up there. But midway through the fourth quarter, about maybe two-thirds of the way through the fourth quarter, he gets the ball down, and it's a 56-yard wheel route to McKissick. It's a 19-yard touchdown to Ricky Seals-Jones, and 27 seconds, 75 yards. Taylor Heineke has put up the Washington football team ahead. Ahead by one. It was exciting. And then the Washington football team gets a stop. The Giants punt, but Heineke throws that pick. Then Jason Garrett doesn't even try to go for the first down and kick the field goal. Daniel Jones just kind of throwing balls all over the place down low. And Heineke gets a chance at redemption because they do kick the field goal. The Giants take the lead. Heineke's got two minutes, two minutes to go get them a field goal. And it was a a wild final drive mistake riddled from both teams, but more from the giants, more from the giants offsides all over the place. Uh, they almost got a 12 man penalty. I mean, is it, is there enough time between now and week three for Joe judge to punish these players by making them run laps for everything they did wrong? Is there enough time in the day in the 10 days? I don't know. We're going to have to go without sleep. They got to run a lot of laps after all these mistakes. We've got to run laps. That's how you do it. I'm a man. No, I, I like Joe Judge, but that part is, is weak to me. Um, Washington football team, Taylor Heineke, shedding the one-hit moniker. I'm into it. And the, the other story of this game uh, was Daniel Jones throwing out of a perfectly clean pocket for most of the game. I know the football team got four sacks. Three of them were early. One of them was a corner blitz, but I think it's just prescriptive of, of kind of the theme of these last few shows early in the season that nobody knows what they're talking about. Many outlets and many media members that I trust and love concluding PFF 
said the Giants had the worst offensive line in the NFL, number 32. And that Washington football team had the best defensive line in the NFL. Number one with Young, Sweat, Allen. Now here we are. It's week two. The Giants lose one of their starters early in the game. And yet, I mean, how could it get more, more obvious than that? The worst against the best and the, and the worst just lost a player. And yet Daniel Jones is sitting there comfortable, clean pockets. Yeah, he wasted a lot of the clean pockets, airmailed some, threw them in the dirt in front of some wide receivers, but he got enough to, to show enough clean pockets to show the good Daniel Jones, the, 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 the Daniel Jones that can go, has time to go through some progressions. The Daniel Jones who makes the read to throw over a blown coverage and have Darius Slayton drop the ball in the end zone. The good Daniel Jones. <laughs> no, so great game. Both teams deserve to win. I, I thought, I thought uh, um, not necessarily that both teams are perfect, but, but that both teams were imperfect and they had their chances uh, to beat the other. Uh, by the way, this is a side note before we get into the rest of it here, but Washington football team, the name I think I'm finally in. I'm finally in on the Washington football team as the permanent name. First of all, I love the numbers on the side of the helmets. I like the end zone with the established 1932. That's a very Rooseveltian vibe. So the nation's capital, 1932 was Franklin D. Roosevelt's first year as president. On our way to building our way out of the Great Depression and into World War II and that great victory. Um... And it's just, it's, it, there's just something about the generics, like beer, beer, brand, beer, general electric, you know, made in the USA. It's the, what team do you root for? I root for the football team. I'm a simple man. I crack open a beer. I sit on the couch and I watch the football team. I like it. I'm warming up to it. I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> I like it. I'm warming up to it. I'm in. All right. Let's talk about the rest of week one. Uh, or sorry, the, the, the rest of week one into week two, this weird time. Uh, this is a hard week to not overreact. Just remember the Browns got blown out last year in week one, the Buccaneers as well. And who cares about that now? So week one, just it's our only data point and it's hard not to use it to extrapolate forward. And the big week one into week two conversation point is around the aftermath of the box score boom of the week. When the Jameis Winston Saints walloped the Aaron Rodgers Packers 38 to 3. Are the Saints this good? Are the Packers this bad? <laughs> this is not how the Last Dance 2 documentary is supposed to start for the Packers, for Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb. Though, then again, it is a better way for a documentary to start. Roger's very media savvy. You know, I love thinking about how documentaries go. Um, it is, this is a good way to start a documentary, especially if it ends with a Super Bowl. But I'm not worried about the Packers. Rodgers is going to throw four touchdowns against the Lions on Monday Night Football. I mean, it's not good that the Packers got beat by the Saints in this way, but there's this idea this whole week, this whole week, because we only have one data point. This whole week that Aaron Rodgers has never had a game like this. What could have possibly happened? Does he care anymore? This team went 13 and three last two years, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, Rodgers stat line is bad. It was uh, 133 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. That does look bizarre, especially against his MVP 
five interception season last year. But Rodgers had a game like this last year and had a game like this the year before. 2020, week five, Rodgers, Packers, they took a complete thumping from Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before they clicked. Very familiar stat line. 2020 week five, Aaron Rodgers had 160 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, two of his five for the MVP season. And in 2019, the year before Sunday night football, uh, the one before Thanksgiving versus the 49ers, Rodgers had even less yards, 104 yards, played the whole game. Well, except for the last series, but 104 yards, a lowly garbage time touchdown when they're already down 20. So this is his third time he has done this in the last three years, this particular type of stat line. Interestingly, San Francisco and Tampa Bay, San Francisco 2019, Tampa Bay 2020, both eventual NFC champs. Does that mean the Saints will be the NFC champs? I don't know. But what does Rodgers do after these games? What did he do at week six last year? Well, he threw for four touchdowns against the New York Giants. Or sorry, against the Houston Texans. What did he do in 2019 after the thumping from the 49ers? Four touchdowns against the New York Giants. So four touchdowns, no picks. Both games after those previous duds. So on Monday, he takes on Detroit. Monday night football, and it's four touchdowns, no picks. Book it. Book it, everybody. Meanwhile, the Saints are flying high and everybody's thinking, you know, did Drew Brees even matter? You know, <laughs> uh, Jameis Winston and, and the, uh, Alvin Kamara and Sean Payton are, you know, are they going to be able to, to actually improve the Saints is, is kind of the, the narrative that's going around. I'm concerned about the injuries that the Saints suffered in that game. 38 to 3, they walloped the Packers, as I said, but there are three really concerning injuries. Their center uh, uh, is hurt. He's out for a while. Their star corner, Marshawn Lattimore, edge rusher, Marcus Davenport. But, you know, Saints fans are feeling good still. I don't think any of those players are out for the year. Um, I'll have to have to verify that. Well, someone else verify because I'm recording now. Um, the game went a long way to ease Saints fans' fears in the, in the new era. Yeah, those injuries are there, but this is, this is the less scary version of uh, uh, this is a less scary timeline for Saints fans. I mean, it's scary. That post-Breeze era has got to be scary for New Orleans. Why? Because they've only had one good era. Before Breeze, there were no other good eras for the Saints from 1967 to 2005 before they signed a free agent, Drew Breeze. They won one playoff game. 38 years, one playoff game. So New Orleans now is back back there. They're back in 2005. They're feeling like it. They don't have Drew Brees going in the new the new stadium, and they're 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 the latest of eight cities that have had to do this this goodbye to a Hall of Fame ten to twenty year Hall of Fame quarterback. Dallas had to do this with Troy Aikman in the in the early 2000s. Denver with John Elway. Buffalo with Jim Kelly in the the late 90s. Miami with Dan Marino. I would think that was the year 2000. Uh, the Packers parted away with Brett Favre. Indianapolis parted ways with Peyton Manning. And recently, New England parted ways with Tom Brady. And New Orleans parted ways with Drew Brees, who's now on the NBC halftime show, by the way. I didn't get a chance to check him out that much, but looked good. 
Nice suit, Drew. Um, now, I know what you're thinking. Why is Miles going through this? Is he going to power rank? Is he going to power rank the weak ones that came directly after a Hall of Fame quarterback retired, traded, or was let go? Yes. Yes, I am. Eight teams. Eight weak ones from teams that had just recently lost a Hall of Fame quarterback that they had for a decade or more. Aikman, Elway, Kelly, Marino, Favre, Manning, Brady, Breeze. What happened to those cities the next opening day, week one? And where does Jameis Winston stack in? Power ranking, starting at the bottom, number eight. Number eight is clear. (laughs) Very clear. Quincy Carter for the 2001 Dallas Cowboys replacing Troy Aikman had one of the worst games of all time. Carter was just thrown to the wolves against the 2001 Buccaneers, the elite Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, John Lynch, Buccaneers. Carter had 34 passing yards, two interceptions, and what I assume was pure fear. Pure fear. Pure fear. <laughs> it's hard to say. Uh, number seven, number six, and number five, and the power rankings are all a tie. Garbage time stats and blowout losses. Erratic performances. Rookie quarterback Andrew Luck in 2012 for Indianapolis replacing Peyton Manning. Brian Greasy, 99 Denver, replacing John Elway. Todd Collins, 1997 Buffalo, replacing Jim Kelly. All three of them, just above or around 300 yards, but not really getting those yards until the game was out of control. Plenty of interceptions around, garbage time, erratic performances, not great experiences for those cities who had just lost the comforting blanket of a Hall of Fame quarterback. Not as bad as Aikman. Not as bad as Quincy Carter at, uh, starting off the post-Aikman era, but also pretty bad. Number four, Jay Fiedler for the 2000 Miami Dolphins. Probably thought they were going to have the worst experience because Miami's still looking for that next Dan Marino, and it's been 21 years. But Jay Fiedler, week one, he presided over a 23-0 pummeling of the Seahawks. He had to do almost nothing, but... He presided over it, 134 yards and a touchdown. Number three, Cam Newton last year, 2020. Remember, last year, the first two weeks were great, remember? We were all thinking Newton is great. Why didn't anyone else sign this guy? That's what we were saying after two weeks last year. And week one was a Newtonian classic. (laughs) Sometimes efficient, sometimes shaky, 155 passing yards, 75 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, a win over Miami. Paired with a dud from Brady week one last year, New England wasn't feeling so bad week one. Number two, post-Hall of Fame quarterback week ones. That's Green Bay. That's Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers finally replacing Brett Favre after backing him up for three years. He turned into what appears to be a pretty medium by his future standards stat line. 178 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Did rush a touchdown, 35 yards, one rushing touchdown. But it was a solid win over a division rival over Minnesota. Rodgers gets the credit for that. And that leaves us, that's right, with the game that happened four days ago. Five days ago or six days ago, depending on which date you're listening to this. The number one post-Hall of Fame quarterback week one is Jameis Winston, New Orleans Saints. Five touchdowns on only 20 attempts. You know it. Saints demolish the Packers in every facet of the game. Winston's number one. All right. 
let's look forward to week two. A little bit more to week two. I want to talk about the Sunday night football game because it's awesome. Mahomes and the Chiefs, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. This is cool. It's so rare that we get to have a matchup like this. You know, we, I just love that, that both Mahomes and Jackson are already MVPs. You know, it just gives us this unique perspective on their matchup. Both players are so young. I mean, Mahomes was the youngest MVP ever in 2018 until Lamar Jackson became the youngest MVP ever in 2019. And both players are still on that upward trajectory of their prime. Superstars in the making, facing in the NFL. But we don't have to be like, boy, these two are, are the future of the NFL, future faces, MVP caliber, future MVPs, MVP contenders. No, we don't have to say that when we're talking about this game. These are two young MVPs battling. They're already MVPs. Add some gravitas, some historical oomph to the Sunday Night Football matchup. And like last season's week three Monday Night Football matchup, it's super hyped. And I, I am pumped. Last year, the Chiefs, it was Monday Night Football. They dominated. 20, they were up 27-10 at the half. And the 10 I, uh, was a special teams touchdown. So, uh, like, the, the Ravens touchdown wasn't even, wasn't even a, um, a, an offensive touchdown. So, Lamar Jackson was thoroughly, thoroughly outplayed by Mahomes. I think he had, well, I know he had under 100 passing yards, 97 passing yards. at 83 rush yards. But Mahomes was the, Mahomes was Mahomes, 385 and 4. And I think Mahomes, Mahomes versus Jackson isn't Patey versus or Patey, <laughs> Brady versus Peyton Manning. It's not going to be that. They're two very different players. I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to ever have the the passing yards that Mahomes does. But Lamar Jackson does bring something to the ground, and not just Lamar Jackson's running stats. It's not just take his rushing yards and add them to his passing yards and pretend. No, what Lamar Jackson does for the rest of the, the team to run, for the rest of the Ravens to run, is also really valuable. So the offense runs through Jackson. Well, how is this game going to go? I don't know. I, the Chiefs are favored by 3.5. I will take the Chiefs. I don't know what shape it's going to take, but I know, what, <laughs> I know what I don't trust. I know the part that I'm most worried about, and it's Lamar Jackson being able to do this. Can Lamar Jackson play against another good quarterback and win when he's got to put up points, not dominate the game in a hyper-efficient way against the Jets? He's got to dominate. A, he's got to put up points against a good defense. And I haven't seen it. I thought I had, I, I actually thought, and I am documented saying, the silver lining from Lamar Jackson's playoff loss in 2019 to the Titans. So he ended his MVP season with a loss, a one and done divisional round loss to the Titans. But I said the silver lining was he had 365 yards and he just missed on a couple of touchdowns. Lamar Jackson has finally shown he can do it. He can take on these teams and he can put up numbers through the air if he has to. It just didn't work out. That's what I said at the time. But since then, all of 2020, week one of 2021, Lamar Jackson has not thrown for more than 250 yards since that Titans game. And in this day and age, 
it just seems so hard to move the ball. It, watching, it's just so hard to move the ball. And if they're losing, they're not going to be, they're not going to do it. Lamar Jackson needs to prove me wrong. He needs this. He needs to have a good game against Mahomes, a comeback, ideally. Can he do it? I don't know. But that's why it's fun. That's why it's fun. It's going to be a great game. And I'm rooting for that story because I want this to be a bigger rivalry. If Mahomes win, I don't know that we can, I don't know that we can even call this a rivalry anymore. And again, friendly reminder, enjoy this time with a healthy Mahomes, a healthy Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey in their primes. Enjoy it. Watch it. Soak it in. Because we will look back on this trio as one of the all-time greats. They already got three deep playoff runs in a row. So this year is fun. This year is fun. Okay, three things to watch for in week two. And then I'm going to go three uh, gambling corner here. Going to go to three betting odds here. So things to watch for. Cardinals pass rush. Chandler Jones last week against the Titans. Five sacks. I'm sure it's going to get him a nice contract. Jandler Jones was already the sack leader over the last five years. More than Demarcus Lawrence, more than Khalil Mack, more than Von Miller. It's Jones over the last five years who has the most sacks. But can Arizona, can can they keep this up? They got J.J. Watt, they got Chandler Jones, and we know that that type of, of potent reaction of two good edge rushers getting hot at the same time can wreck a game wreck a portion of the season. Can they do that? Cause that would be huge, especially with the way Kyler Murray is playing. So that's why it's really something I'm going to be watching. And they're going to be at home for the first time. Cardinals fans are going to be cheering for it. It's a big week too, big week too. And they're playing the Vikings whose offensive line sucks. I'm going to be really interested to see if they can keep this, this pass rush pressure up and it may not come in the form of sacks. Okay. I mean, we look at sacks and we talk about sacks, but when a team is dominating on the edge, the offense is just going to give up the type of plays that could be sacks, which has an advantage for the Cardinals if that comes. But it's not necessarily going to be in the stat sheet. So it's going to be something very interesting to watch. Um, okay, number two on this, they say don't overreact to week one. We say it all the time, but it is important in fantasy football to swing for the fences at this time of year on your waiver wires, usually via injury at the running back position. There is some, there is a ticket to take one of those waiver wire league winning running backs. You know, every once in a while it happens, it's kind of like a, like a semi classic shooting star, semi common shooting star, like a, like a biannual maybe which can mean both twice in a year and once every other year, by the way. Weird fact. Then it has, to me, it has no definition, that word. Anyway, uh, 2012 Alfred Morris, 2014 Justin Forsett, 2018 Philip Lindsay, last year's James Robinson. These players, these running backs, they come in, not saying they have long, fruitful careers, but they make a splash in fantasy football because for one season, they provide major value at a position that is usually very slim pickings. And not only do you get them on your team, you get them at this point, at week one or week two, which by definition is the most time that you can have them for the rest of the season. And it's a huge deal. And it's a huge deal. We have two tickets potentially this year. Elijah Mitchell, 
San Francisco 49er running back, and Tyson Williams, Baltimore Ravens running back. Watching closely to see if Mitchell can be the newest 49er running back, accumulating those stats from Kyle Shanahan, the run game, because Mostert is out for the year. But what will, I mean, what will his usage really be? It's, it's hard to trust Kyle Shanahan, hard to trust anything he says. In comparison with Trey Sermon, who, uh, who is the, the Elijah Mitchell's fellow rookie, who was a healthy scratch in week one, so we don't really know how they relate to each other in the pecking order, except that Sermon was a healthy scratch. So you know we can kind of surmise a little bit from that. But then again, Sermon got better and more prime, quote-unquote prime playing time in the preseason. Or how does this relate to Jermichael Hasty? You have to take the ticket. You have to try. You have to hope that you're getting Elijah Mitchell the future Alfred Morris, basically, or the future Raheem Mostert, basically, that waiver wire pickup that's going to accumulate all of Kyle Shanahan's run game stats. But it will be interesting. Tomorrow's game, or tomorrow's game, Sunday's game is going to be a big pointer towards how the 49ers really feel about Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon together. For the Ravens, I think it's pretty clear that Tyson Williams has the job and it's his job to lose, or at least it was, because I'm not sure, did he lose it on that last play when he blew the pass protection and caused Lamar Jackson to fumble away the Monday night football game against the Raiders? I don't know, but this is another very fruitful area. Like we talked about with Mitchell, that's the 49ers, uh, uh, run game, the Kyle Shanahan stats. It's also very fruitful to be the running back for the Baltimore Ravens. But will that pass protection faux pas tilt things towards Latavius Murray? I don't know. Will other names come up? Even the big names, Devonta Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, currently on the Ravens practice squad. It'll be interesting to see if Tyson, Tyson Williams still has the trust of Jim Harbaugh. Something to watch for in week two. Last one is, is Mac Jones for real. I think yes, but I... I I'm not, wor- I'm not working to answer this question. I'm working to see like how real is he? Because I am in. I watched him play the Dolphins. He did orchestrate a game-winning drive. Damian Harris fumbled the ball. Now, you might say Brady would have made the running back not fumble or somehow. I don't know. I'd say that's an unrealistic component of a quarterback, a component of a game for a quarterback to control. But I was very impressed by Mac Jones. I know the play styles are, are different, but... This kind of reminds me of Deshaun Watson out of Clemson. It's like, yeah, he did really good in college and now he's in the NFL and he's just doing really good again. And it's just the slow realization that we, that we come through. So it's kind of that same sort of thing of what, uh, of how I was feeling about Watson in 2017. And there's got to be, there just has to be some sort of advantage of going to the Patriots, having Belichick, the guy who taught Tom Brady everything he knows for 19 years. I mean, can't Mac Jones just ask every single little detail of Bill Belichick? What did Brady do on Thursday nights? What did he do here? What did he do there? Where did he go? What did he say? What do you wish you could have told him that you can tell him now? Because he's me. Pretend he's me. There's just a day-to-day institutional osmosis that has got to be seeping in for Mac Jones there at the Patriots facility. I think that's a real intangible thing. So I'm excited to watch this week and see if he can, he can level up. I think he's going to happen. All right, last thing, gambling corner betting odds. I was one for three last week. I took the 49ers and the points over the Lions at 7.5. Um, I was up 
the 49ers were up a comfortable 20, but the Lions roared back to lose by eight. It can never be easy, can it? (laughs) It can never be easy. I lost my money line bet. I had the Washington football team to upset the Chargers. Fitzpatrick injury may have hampered that, but credit to Justin Herbert. Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. My theory was that he'd be he'd be overwhelmed and and potentially a, a little bit rattled playing in a real NFL game with fans. But Herbert got the ball back with six minutes in the fourth quarter of a of a slog fest twenty to sixteen game and. He led that drive. He led that drive. He just drained the last six minutes of the game. So credit to Herbert. Um, was it was a good victory for the Chargers and credit to that offensive line as well. It's kind of exciting. My other was a my other bet was an under on the Cleveland Kansas City game. And I don't even want to talk about that. So this week, after I told you I was one for three, I'll take Carolina to cover against New Orleans. The Saints are favored by three point five. I think the Panthers either win. Or keep it close. The Saints, those injuries really get me. The center, their guards are already weak. They lost Lattimore and lost Davenport. Jameis Winston gets a little bit of confidence. And the Panthers have a lot of talent. So I am going to say Carolina covers against New Orleans. I'm also going to take the Chiefs and the points over Baltimore for all the reasons I said earlier. I need to see Lamar see it. I've rooted for Lamar, and I know firsthand that it just so hard. It feels so hard. It feels so hopeless. Um, so now I'm rooting for Mahomes. <laughs> and then I'm going to take the under on Titans Seahawks. The line is set at 54.5, and I, I get I get the reasons. There's big-name receivers, and and there's Lockett. There's Julio. There's the Ole Miss teammates, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, facing each other for the first time. But I guess I win either way this way. I'm going to take the under, and either I get a fun game with those receivers going off, or I get a slugfest with two coaches who want to run the ball, who want to run the ball and plod ahead. And then they'll hit the under because of that. So that's my picks. Week two coming up. I am Miles, and thank you for tuning in.